0: Working in a System of Trauma, featuring Dr. Michael Barnes. How do family members and loved ones react to someone's substance use, gambling, pornography, and other behaviors? As a system, the impact can be understandably overwhelming, and what happens can result in trauma. For many family members and loved ones, that is hard to see, and yet the experiences shared are quite similar. Dr. Michael Barnes, author of When the Solution Becomes a Problem, joins this episode to talk about his approach to helping families understand why implementing expert recommendations can be so challenging. Our guest on this episode of Talking Addiction and Recovery podcast is Dr. Michael Barnes. Throughout the past 40 years, Dr. Michael Barnes has served as an addiction professional, program administrator, family therapist, and counselor educator. The past six years, he served as the Chief Clinical Officer at Foundry Steamboat, a comprehensive trauma-integrated addiction treatment program in Steamboat Springs, Colorado. Dr. Barnes is also the founder director of the Michael Barnes Family Institute and the owner of Barnes Education and Consulting, LLC. He is the author of When the Solution Becomes the Problem, Helping Families Struggling with Addiction and Trauma. To find out more about Dr. Barnes, visit his website at www drmikebarnes.com and to purchase his book please visit www.barnesedandconsulting.com you can visit links to all these in the podcast episode summary
1: this is talking addiction and recovery the podcast talking you guessed it all about addiction and recovery Join your host, licensed professional counselor, Andrew J. Schreier, as he and his guests break down recovery topics with raw honesty, delving into niche conversations around the topics of substance abuse, mental health, and gambling. We intend to meet individuals where they are on their own personal journey of recovery with dignity, respect, and compassion. We'll do more than talk addiction and recovery. We'll explore it. We're glad you've joined us. Here with today's episode, your host, Andrew Schreier.
0: Welcome, Mike, to uh, Talking Addiction Recovery Podcast. Thanks for coming and talking to me. Yeah, thank you, Andrew. I really appreciate the invitation. Yeah, this is perfect timing because I think yesterday, all of your books got delivered to my house. And this is sort of like a backwards way of talking about it, where I'm fortunate the organization I work for supports a book club and they pay for the books. They, they give it to the employees and we get together and we actually talk about it. And I selected yours. And I think for audience members, this is like, Oh, what, what book is this now that, you know, it's being Mm -hmm. selected for a book club and all that. So I'm a big fan and that's why I really can't wait to talk to you about it. Yeah, thank you. That's great. I want to start with the title because I think the title is where people are going to do a little bit of like, wait a minute, what is that? Okay, I get it, but wait. And like, so it's called When the Solution Becomes the Problem. Can you dive in a little bit to where that title comes from for the book? That's an old family therapy uh, term that we've,
2: that we use that basically says when there's a crisis or a problem, the family starts making subtle changes that um, kind of help them to be able to support their loved one while also keeping the family together and taking care of the the, the other kids. And that over the course of time, those subtle changes result in real changes with the way the family talks to one another, the advent of secrets and um, boundary changes. And the family's getting progressively more traumatized as the addiction gets progressively worse. And so we start seeing a lot of the avoidance and the control issues and the hypervigilance. And so I call that the new normal and that the new normal is a way of living with an individual with addiction. But once that person starts to seek recovery, if the, those those kind of new normal behaviors don't serve a very good purpose, and they later become a problem in the recovery process.
0: Yeah, that's a question I often bring about whether it's a, a, a couple <clears throat> or a family, but like normally when these cases get brought to me and it's someone who's got a substance is, is, use issue, a gambling issue, Sure. You know they say, well this is this is the only thing that's going wrong. This is the thing that's causing all of these and and part of it at some point or another is, so if this is resolved or this person's in recovery, this person is you know making these changes, do we see everything as being you know good then like and normally, I just try to get a feel for how the person responds because sometimes the person's like, yes, they um, they're like, no, there's a lot more issues going on. This, this isn't just the only thing. So I kind of throw that out there just to see how the system responds.
2: Well, it's interesting. I talk to families like every day and my, I keep reminding them, attention to the things that you thought were going to go away when your loved one got sober that haven't gone away. And that those, those are the, that solution that has become the problem. And so there's so much unresolved resentment and so much unresolved fear and kind of trauma on both sides that if a a identified patient in the family starts making all of these changes and the family doesn't make kind of accommodating changes, then it it actually just leads to uh, either a relapse or a lapse, or uh, a lot of times clients will have to say, you know, I love my family. I really want to have a relationship with them. But my real support system is my recovery community. And um, I was talking with a mom. I was was actually in a mall and this young woman was walking towards me and I recognized her as a client at a previous treatment center. And she was so excited. She was sober for two and a half years. She was an entrepreneur. She had started these businesses. She's worked the steps in three programs. She's just doing great. And I looked at the mom and the mom should be, I thought, should be smiling. And the mom was not. And I said, why are you, up, why are you upset with all this success? And she said, can I just say that I hate AA? And I said, tell me about that. What, what do you mean? She said, AA took my daughter away from me. And the daughter looked at the mom and said, you and dad are still drinking too much. I can't spend too much time. And so, you know, it, it's, it's kind of really unconscious. Which yeah. is the which is the really interesting part is well you know and client you know families say to me all the time if my loved one would just get sober then we could go back to normal and that's not what the research says the re- the research on chronic Ill- communication patterns stay the same that the person with a chronic illness is more likely to struggle more with their illness over time and if the family goes into a recovery process then that person with the chronic illness is Far more likely to manage their illness in a better way and so um you know our kind of the i I run a a family institute and when we're talking to families it's how do we help you move from we're a family that has a loved one who struggles with addiction to we're a family in recovery from addiction and trauma we we're in this together and so i built the program you know, I started thinking if if we're going to do this and we're going to build, we're going to begin to make the kinds of changes that I wanted, you know, it has to fit within the paradigm, the treatment paradigm in some way that we, that we have, they're, you know, they're not going to change treatment as significantly as needed. And so I started really looking at how do other chronic diseases treat this? And they do a lot more work with the family and really see the family as playing a large part in either maintaining the problem or helping solve the problem.
0: Yeah, and that was really big. I think your book does that right out the gate, you know, a lot of family members or or loved ones, you know, they they might seek some services or some help and when they do it it's sort of, you know, what can you do to 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 help this person to get them to change or get them get them better but like your book really from the get-go highlights you know, the need for the family and and for the individuals to, that a lot of it's not just what's going on for that person, but what what are they going to need to do or what are they going through? And I think people have talked about, but your book just seems to really shed light on the whole trauma reaction to this. And when I've started having conversations with some people, even like about your book in particular, about how, you know, the individuals, when they react to some of The things that's going on like this is trauma and i think that resonates when you have those conversations with people but when you first start out with it that's very hard to see Mm -hmm. and to to recognize that until someone almost does this breakdown of like you know you're you have a trauma response Mm -hmm. and i think families need to hear that
2: yeah and if you if you kind of i don't know if you notice but each at the end of each chapter i kind of said, okay, you know, if you're still with me, let's, let's go forward. And this is going to be hard and this is going to be new. And it's interesting. I I opened the, you know, the, the kind of author's notes in the book by saying, most people write books for families struggling with addiction to tell them what to do. And I said, this book's different. It's a, a book that will tell you why it's so hard to do the things that everyone else tells you to do. And it's really that foundation. It's it's not um, do this, do that. It's why do anything?
0: Yeah, I feel like you explore like, it way before. It, it's sort of when I kind of look at stages of change, right? And I kind of look sure. at people quickly go from, okay, I have a problem. Now I want to make change real quick. Like they get motivated, they get support, and they sort of want to, really jump to make something different. And we sort of forget about preparation. You know, we forget about what is that like to make change? What do you need to make change? You know, what is it that is you anticipate face it, you know? like, And I think family members go through that too, where there's all of a sudden, like, let's just sure. make this change. And your book sort of like, it it slows down in a way to do exactly what you're talking about, which is there are some things we got to address because, without that, 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 that action is going okay. to maybe go to the wrong area. It, it could be well intent, like well intentions, but okay. it's not going to do what you think it's going to do. And, and we got to talk about that before you start venturing out. Yeah. By the end of the book, I start really talking about, these are the questions you have to address and
2: that you have to talk to each other differently. And these are the things, but without the, and i will often say in the book go back to the prior, prior if you're having any questions go back to the prior chapters in the book reread some of that and and it'll make sense to you going forward and so um it was it's the book i always wanted to write <laughs> you know you think about it and you think about it and, boy i wish i had that written down
0: and so i i finally was able to muster the energy to do that so, and it and what i really loved about it, which as I started reading, I was like, "This is amazing for so many people." But the one of the reasons why I wanted to pick it for clinicians is because the book also features many things in it. Like when I read it, it was like, "This is trauma. This is family systems. This is like solution focused." I I looked at mindfulness. Like it included so many things as opposed to just one one thing that would be like what makes a lot of this work. And you. You give so many different things that I really thought that's why I want clinicians to to read this and know about this as well, as opposed to read something where it's like this one thing is really what's going to do it. You talk about so many different aspects to this. Um,
2: it's interesting. I had a student. I, I was a professor at the University of Colorado in Denver in their counseling program, and a student said to me, "What's the best way to work with an unmotivated client?" And I stopped and I thought. And I said, I don't, I don't know. I've never worked with an unmotivated client. And the whole classroom started laughing. And I said, I work with traumatized clients and that they're highly motivated to stay as safe as possible. And if we only think that the client is traumatized, then we tend to see the family as being unsupportive or controlling. And so often in the addiction world, and I, you know, I, I've been I can't tell you how many treatment centers I've worked in over the years that idea that the family is really still seen as the problem for many addiction counselors and if we can begin the, so if a counsel if a client is in precontemplation we use motivational interviewing do we do that with families to say you know let's talk about your struggle and, um, I think the chapter or the the section of the book that I like is it's really my research, is that idea that is the longer a family stays in fight or flight, their that sympathetic nervous system response, it's pretty hard to have gratitude when you're really kind of focusing on how do we survive this. And that that's where the the trauma behaviors start to really show themselves with we talk to families about enabling. Telling a, a family to stop enabling is like Nancy Reagan telling an addict to just say no. Like, if you're not going to teach them, you know, like imagine your loved one walking down the hall. You know they're going to ask you for money. Some counselor told you to just say no. I'm not going to do that. Well, when you talk to the families, they'll talk about. You know, I could see him getting angry, and I could. My chest started tightening, and I started to get frightened. And when I said tried to say no, he got escalated, and and that's systemic trauma. That's I don't know any other way to say it to say it is just enabling misses the mark that it's a protective it's it's the motivation to stay safe
0: and, and I think um, and I think what you really touched on too was you know we talk about trauma there's kind of like two ways that we overall tend to look at as like this in this one person is trauma and how that like they've got they're traumatized and, and how that is impacted right and then like sure. how others interact with that person and then we sometimes just talk about like you know, a large amount of people, as in, you know, like a lot of people have gone through trauma or experienced trauma, what your book does differently, which I, I don't see that often is you kind of look at what happens when like a system, like a family is, is traumatized. And when several, and so you kind of talk about, you know, just like what you shared now with what the, the parent was going through, that is what their trauma response is going through, but also the person who is using substances is also going through some of that. So you're you're opening up this view of not just one person or the general population, but what happens when family members who are both going through trauma, and then you're talking about motivation, right? Where they are motivated, you know, by some of these certain things. So I'm really curious, this might be a little bit not off topic, but not the same direction we've, we've been talking, but family systems. I want to talk about that because, I still don't think it's where it needs to be in regards to how we address it. And I remember I was I was thankful enough where through a, a good amount of my years, I worked at a place where we had a, a marriage and family therapist and they work different. I just yeah. I don't know how to explain it, but they work different. And you you don't always work with, with someone who's got um, marriage and family therapists. It's not. And she offered group supervision every other week for anyone who wanted to apply family systems to people they were working with. And I thought it was phenomenal growth and phenomenal understanding. She did things that I was like, I wasn't seeing any of this. And I want to bring that up because I still think in many areas, including families, is such a challenge and whether that is getting family members to want to be involved. When you work with adults, that could also be, um, having, having them want family involved. Like if I'm working right. with a, someone who's in their mid thirties, wanting their family involved has got to be a, they got to sign that over and, and want to do that. So I guess where, where do you think we are today with this and how do we, improve on working with the family because you hear it talked a lot about, but as far as application, I still think we're, we're not there. Um, I have the good fortune. I I speak
2: all over the country and I speak on the same things all, all the time. It's always about this issue. And more and more people are coming up to me and saying, you know, it's funny. I never even thought about it. And I think there's a, there is a growing awareness that we need to do something different. And so when I came to the foundry, which is our treatment center in Steamboat Springs, I was allowed to do whatever I really wanted to do to change the program. And so we created a program that is a family-focused, uh, kind of family-centered addiction program. And, and what it really is that we have a family program that's almost like an IOP for the families. They, they do two groups a week. They have videos of the key issues. We have videos on addiction as a chronic disease, trauma, secondary trauma, healing, all those things. And the clients get the same lecture material that the family gets mm. in each in each week. So that when they begin to have their phone calls, you know, those 10-minute phone calls that clients get, rather than talking about nothing or t- rather than complaining, they can begin to talk about, did you did you listen to that lecture? Like that was our family. Well, the idea is healing is th- the fundamental of healing is difficult conversations. And so how do we begin a process to seed conversations with education? And so uh, they get a family session each week. They, you know, the families get, get their uh, activities. We, we give them longer phone calls as we're going. And, you know, we are all doing outcome measures in our treatment centers to try to show success. And we're really looking at let's collect data on the family to show success. And um, you know, relationship uh, questionnaires. Our, our families do a lot of questionnaires. Symptoms. I mean, like it, it's. There's no question that when a family comes into our program, responses they talk about are trauma symptoms. And so we are in the process of doing a pilot study with treatment centers with a new program that I've developed that I'm hoping can infuse this model more into the like creating that trauma-informed family work um i was at a conference big conference and i i said just show of hands how many of you work in a trauma-informed treatment environment every hand went up and i said how many of you work in a trauma integrated like you take it one step further and if, you know some hands went up and i said how many of you have a trauma integrated family program and not one hand went up <laughs> yeah not surprising And I said, okay, well, we're on, okay, now we know where we're at and let's talk about where we can go. You know, marriage and family therapy programs have not done um, as a faculty member in those. I had been offering to do a a trauma class for years. Now, you know, that's, we're not going to do that. I think the lowest of all the professionals in the community, the smallest number of referrals we get are from family therapists. You know, it's like, why are you taking the client out of the family system to treat them? Shouldn't we be doing family therapy? Discussion is there's so much water under the bridge that if we just start with family therapy, it's going to be really hard to get to it. So this, this kind of new system seems to work really well.
0: Yeah. I feel Um, like part of the buy-in, I say buy-in, but part of the, you know, when I think about places that I've worked, you know, and I've worked in like group home, halfway house, residential, inpatient. You know, sometimes what I see is treatment is almost a break from the family. <laughs> where mm-hmm. from sometimes both sides, to be honest, like I had the the person seeking treatment and and coming in for help is things were just getting so toxic or bad. And this is sort of and they even would acknowledge, like, yeah, my family needs some time from me because of what I've done. And then sometimes the family members, like they have that same response where they have been we just been through so much and this is and i've had parents and, and spouses who will say this probably sounds bad but we kind of need the break so i just that's where and then it's so hard because then how you try to reintegrate that after is your break over where are you with uh it it's so easy for it to I, to get that moment where you know strike when the iron's hot it just seems it's not that much there's not much of those opportunities it's it's pretty limited where And other things, it's easy to put in this. We got to work on the the substance use. We got to work on the mental health. We got to work on these other areas. But, you know, those moments to really highlight the need for the family services, there's just fewer and far between compared to the other things that we're working with.
2: Yeah. I mean, respite is a good thing
0: for a period of time.
2: And I think when you shift really to a chronic disease Model, you know, if if the chronic disease was um, schizophrenia or uh, with chronic disease uh, of, of a chronic medical, there is no respite. I mean, you have to you have to deal with it. And so I think that shift in the realization of well, I have been impacted more than I ever thought. And, and one of the ways I do it is I'll use Gellner's curve, and I have a slide with the the curve, and I have a family system over here on a mobile. And I ask the families, what's the first symptom on there that you recognize that you remember when that happened? And they'll, they'll think, oh, that's interesting. Well, I remember when he started doing this. And, and then, well, what did you do to address that? Well, we you know, changed our rules and our relationships a little bit. And we started kind of monitoring them a little closer. And I said, well, now let's go to the next symptom. What's the next one you remember? And then the next one, you remember, and suddenly they begin to say, I guess I, I guess I really was impacted more than I thought. And, you know, we, when they say, if my loved one gets sober, we can go back to normal. What was that original normal built upon? And was it, you know, there's a transgenerational trauma. And so once you pique the interest of, wow, this is, i say to families a lot what if this is more complicated than you think in that idea because it is and so often families get upset when i start talking about you know addiction in prior generations and they get a little defensive and like what are you trying to say that it's that it's our fault it's like no no, not at all That, but, but that when your family formed two people came together or to create a family and they had to take what one family did and what the other family did. And so often the, we call them the five R's, the rules, roles, rituals, routines, and relationships um, looked um, eerily similar to what they did in my family of origin when my dad was an alcoholic. And so the going back to normal doesn't necessarily promote healing. The going back to normal Maybe more of the same and so i i just i think we've been really pretty successful if we take a really slow approach that this is all information but challenging them to recognize the pieces that seem really familiar to them and that they will eventually by this maybe second third week begin to say i never knew how traumatized i was by this now i see why you're telling us that
0: we need to to do this work I think that's where like a lot of people resonate with those feelings and in the descriptions of what they go through, not necessarily realizing that that is the trauma, which you really highlight right away, letting them resonate with, yeah, that's how I felt. And that's what I was going through. I didn't really realize that that was trauma. And I really, which I thought your book did a great job of because you use a little bit of your own self-disclosure with the car accident. And I really thought that was an amazing way to sort of open up the whole thing on on trauma and family system because that just seemed like more of a a way for people to not be as guarded or or you know reactive to about think well my you know son is different or my daughter is different or my spouse is you know yes that but you you used the the car accident to really be an example of this whole thing and with chronic issue and and all that so I really. I think that was brilliant to get people to be a little bit more seeing this besides just the substance use. Gets beyond just that type of thing.
2: I think the best story in the book is the story of my son, my wife asking me to go get the newspaper down at the road right where he was hit, and he said, "Well, I'll go get it." And he's like seven years old, and my wife goes, "No, no, 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 no! Your dad will go get it." And our son looked at us and he said, "What do you think I'm going to do?" Go- hit by another car, it was an accident. And I looked at my wife and she looked at me and I said, he's the healthiest person in this family. (laughs) Like if we're not careful, we're going to create a learned helplessness in this kid because we wanted to wrap him in bubble wrap. We wanted to make sure he never got hurt again. And it was out of absolute pure love for him. But it was also that response to, I don't know that I can tolerate anything that scary again. So we have to keep a really close eye on him. And I think I tell that story with the hope that families will resonate with, yeah, we did it because we love them. But we also, you know, were terrified of what was going to happen next. So, yeah, that was a that was a pretty horrible time, but a really transformational time in my thinking about families being traumatized by the traumatic event not just, you know, our own getting hit by a car.
0: Yeah, I know that that's where you're in your, your book has that focus with addiction. But, you know, when you read through it, and you look at it, like I think too, like this, because something that could be with, you know, families with mental health and families with other chronic conditions, or just in, in general, with I guess, the the better question be is what family system could not benefit from just even learning about it, you know, maybe it's not even specific to what they're going through. But I think that idea of like when families go through things and we have trauma responses to it, this is this is a lot of what you're talking about. You can take out one of those issues and, and put in a different one. And I still think people could benefit from understanding how that all plays out. Yeah, I was approached by a,
2: a, a counselor in Vail who works in a community mental health center. And she said, I read your book and I I think it would be really helpful for our clients Um, the parents and families of individuals with chronic mental illness. So we just gave them our program and said, let's let's work together and sort of play with how do we change it if at all to really meet their needs. And the only thing that they wanted to change was to talk more about chronic illness rather than talk about addiction specific. And I think, I think that would be, you know, I think that's the next wave that I envision is, how do we make it more general for other families? Um, you know who else I think this book is really good for? And it, it, I, I've been approached by a couple of people who are in recovery and said, you know, when I got sober, my family and I never healed and I were still at odds. But boy, I read that book and I it was now I understand why they're reacting the way they react. Yes. And, it's, and that it's really helped my recovery. Um, and that it's not my fault. it's a it's a process, it's an illness. And so I think there are a lot of, I mean, I wrote it for families with addiction, but I I um,
0: I agree. there's so many other ways it could be helpful to people. Yeah, because I was thinking too about, you know, what if you know I can do my best with trying to get someone to want family members involved and vice versa. In the event, someone just does not seem they're ready. Yet, who knows when that might be. I still would think this this would be a great read for them to still understand family systems and family perspectives and why, you know, when you do this, why your family might, you know, react this way. And this this kind of explains it. So, you know, ideally it would be great if the whole family and and all that could could do it. But even without it, I still think there's some knowledge in here and awareness that would be beneficial for someone who is the one, you know, you know, in recovery or, or, you know, working towards their recovery and their journey that it's still good for them. Even if the family members might not be around or might not be willing, maybe they might not be there yet. I I think it's still value to them.
2: Someone challenged me uh, one day on, well, what about the clients that their families don't participate? Like, do you, why do you make them go to those lectures and why do you why do you include them in family education and i said because that's what they're going out to like they need to understand maybe why their family's not participating and it's not their fault and i've run into a couple cases where uh, i was approached by therapists said i think you're making too big of a deal about families i think you know you're you're watering the the process down And I said, so are you in recovery? And they were in recovery. And I said, how did your family uh, uh, resolute? How was the resolution with your family when you got sober? And it almost always is that it didn't. Mm. And so I think for for therapists, um, that it's a reminder that, you know, if we're going to be... um, you know, consistent, and we're going to be able to help the clients, we have to be willing to look back and to begin to look at, you know, maybe, uh, maybe the book will help them understand that, you know, not all families are going to do it. But it's, it's still the most important relationship in our lives, that we, even a person in recovery needs some resolution in their own mind. And so I mean, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that.
0: Yeah. I think it, to me, it reminds me or makes me think more of sometimes when people don't have family involved, it's all of a sudden like we pretend like there's no family, either you're involved in the process or you're, you're a part of it, or the person just doesn't have family. And it's like, that doesn't really ever go away. Um, even if it's, you know, very strained and separated, or even if, even if someone, I mean, think about it. Um, you know, what if someone doesn't? What if someone's parents or family isn't a- around anymore? Does that mean like, well, we don't talk about family stuff, or we don't address anything related to family? Be- because then I would still, you know, they still, to me, that that family still exists. It's it's never just all of a sudden like, well, nope, no family here. Keep keep moving, like person, like it's almost an item that's checked off. Well, they don't have housing. They don't have this. They don't have family. They. They came from a family, you know, they, they still have family. Maybe it's different for everyone, but I just don't just hearing you talk about that. I don't like the idea of we, we say to someone who doesn't have a family involved, who maybe they're not ready. Maybe their family is, maybe they don't even know where their family is. Maybe their family has passed. Then we just kind of look at it as, well, we missed it. We can't do any work family related. Like that's not true. I'm going to have to live with that. And, and it's not true. And I I did a podcast
2: with Dan Griffin, who does a lot of work with men's issues. And and um, we were talking about, can you change the past? And I was teaching a doctoral class, and I asked the students, can you change the past? And every student said, no. And they said, you, you disagree with us. And I said, oh, completely, I disagree with you. You can't change what happened, but you can sure change your understanding of it. And that was... That was really the biggest healing point in my life with my family of origin, was the realization of how traumatized they were. Not just, uh, and I, I'm not in recovery, but from their own their own childhoods, in that they, when I could step back from the conflicts and realize, well, that's hypervigilance, that's control, That that suddenly the pieces began to fall in place like a puzzle, and I was able to say, you know, they did the best they could. Like, you know, that my life's actually pretty good compared to what their life was. And boy, my resentments went away pretty quickly when I was able to recognize that. And so that's the other thing is, um, I think, to be quite honest, I think this program that we've created is for the next generation. Mm -hmm. And the idea is if we can get families, and whether they do it together or whether one person in that family decides I'm going to be different and I'm not going to, I'm going to learn a a different way to talk to my kids or, or whatever. But um, the amount of transgenerational trauma that is being, that that we're just now starting to look at. um, That's my hope is, well, why should we do this? Well, do you have grandkids? (laughs) Do you have kids? That's why you should do it. That you know, addiction's not getting less. It's the numbers are pretty stable. So let's, let's see if we can one family at a time begin to make some of those changes. And again, it's not blaming. It's, it's, it is that concept of normal of, well, that's normal to me. I, I quote David Foster Wallace's story about the fish in the book and that idea of the, the, two young fish are swimming down the stream and the an older fish swims by and says "Hi, hey fellas how's the water and the two fish kind of look at each other and as they swim away one looks at the other and says what's water <laughs> and the idea of my family of origin is my water and it's different than your water it's still water but it's yeah. it's different and um like we tend not to think about family formation it wasn't always there i mean it's generationally uh evolving and so um let's let's create a newer normal that has a chance to break that
0: chain of transgenerational trauma i think that's important too and and even if people aren't necessarily like i don't expect someone to to walk in and be like hey i want some family therapy like some some people do you know they say i want we're having issues with a fam, like as a family and we, we want to come to you, but like, if someone's seeking help for something like, Hey, I've got this problem with this substance use or something like, it's not, I don't expect someone to be like, also add in some family therapy. I could really do that. Um, I say that because at the same time, it's not like people aren't bringing up issues related to family. I mean, it gets brought all up the, all the time. Yeah. So it's not one that we're necessarily, you know, as, as you were saying, the the person that talked to you about like, you know, muddling it and everything and all that, but it's, it's, it gets brought up. I mean, when you're talking about how are things going, you know, what's going on since last time I saw you, um, you know, how are things, you know, at home or that or was going on, like people bring up stuff in their relationships they bring up stuff about their family. So they're not necessarily calling it out and saying, Hey, yeah, I would like to, understand my family system more, or they might not be looking at like, "Hmm, I want to know more about why they respond in the way that they do, but they do say things. They do bring up stuff. They do mention things that behind all that is exactly what you talk about in the Mm -hmm. book. It's just not presented in the way that ideally we would hope it would, but it's, it's stuff that's there. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. It's always on every treatment plan. There's always something about family of origin and and the the, my my hope is that it was it's a a significant deep dive into why families do what they do and that um, it it will inform um you know therapists using different interventions and maybe helping the client to understand in a way that might be like when i realized my family was so traumatized that i was able to resolve some of my own resentments in therapy that, um, you know, I, I talk a lot about perception in the in the book and the idea that perception is way more important than reality and perception happens over generations. Uh, you know, those, we call them family healing or family illness schemas about addiction and about other things and um, you know uh, changes in insights ch- provide new solutions because we we do tend to use our insights to drive our solutions that we're willing to do and i always ask therapists how many of you have ever had a family member ask you what they should do and how they should do it and everyone just, you know, laughs and and i said how many of them don't do what you tell them to do and then they really laugh and the idea of simon Sinek wrote a really good book uh, it starts with why. And he said that in the business world, people will always ask, you know, they read all these books to learn what to do and how to do it. But if they don't ask the, themselves, why why am I the one that needs to make a change? That they they generally don't do what is recommended. But once they begin to look at, you know, I am the person that I need to change, whether they change or not, because I've been impacted that that opens the door to solutions that would have never been possible before. Because until they had that realization of, um, a student once asked me, well, why do people change? And I said, people change when they realize that the problem they're trying to solve isn't the problem that they have. And when they realize that it's different, then it's like, oh, that that opens the door to, you know, I've been trying the same things because out of love and out of desire.
0: But it's actually the solution that's become the problem. Yeah, which is exactly why the, the title of the book is so perfect and, and fitting for this. Final kind of final thought here, because you know, the the work is great. The you know the need for it is there. As always, we get stuck into how do we how do we get more into this? How do we, you know, encourage, you know, more people to to look into these things, how do we get more organizations to be like, yes, we need to include family into this, or how do we look at more places being able to provide, you know, even financially to be able to, to make this work? Like how, you know, I don't know if it's like find your elevator pitch or like, how do you in those moments try to help people to see this, this is, how important this can be for the people that we are trying to, to help and and provide care for.
2: I think a lot of people are really problem focused. And the idea that you can't have a family program that's that robust because insurance doesn't pay for it. And you know, there's just so many reasons that, like, you know, someone said to me, how can you afford to do this program? You must be a private pay, you know, you know, malibu program or something he said no we're an insurance-based program and i looked at him and i said how can you afford not to do it if you're if we're really going to convince insurance companies and the joint commission that the client isn't the client the client is a part of a larger family system and start doing our outcome measures about family satisfaction family healing and so um I've actually been trying so if there's any listeners that are really interested in this I've been trying to develop a program it's it's almost like a support network for family service providers and the idea of there's really no curriculum that we go to to train addiction counselors how to not be family therapists, but to really see that big picture of how it integrates with it. And yeah. so I've been talking to people about, well, let's create a best practices in family services. Let's develop a, a training curriculum for um, addiction programs that they can implement into their continuing education process. Um, how do we uh, create a compassion fatigue uh, support system for family providers? So, I, I mean, I think... I, you know, I I don't, all I know is how I'm trying to do it. And that is to be in front of as many people as possible. Um, I think I said, you know, we're working with Arizona State University to create a, um, a modularized family program that um, has all of the components of our program that, that for programs that, you know, a lot of programs are downsizing their family programs and they're actually doing away with them. And so we're trying to create something that even if they don't have the resources that it can be an affordable way for them to provide services for families. And so over the next year, I'll be going to every conference I can get in to speak and be talking about that. So uh, if anyone's
0: interested, please look me up. In my way I'm thinking of it. um, I think part of it, and this doesn't say it, it, it solves all of it but to me this is also a potential preventative measure because if you some cases don't address the family you're going to find all those individuals in individual therapy for other for various things right and you're going to yeah. end up you know saying well yeah this person needs this individual therapy for, for this mental health. And this person needs it because they've got this, the substance use and this person needs it because they are, you know, traumatized, you know, experiencing that. And Mm. it's like, well, then we'll, we'll look at it by addressing all of them individually when there could have been a way potentially that some of this could have been addressed and treated earlier on with this family system. Mm. And and this could have helped to address some of these issues before it turned into like what it is then when all of a sudden they all go off to individual therapy. And I love individual therapy. I love both. I love it all. But I just I just think part of it is we will look at treating it when it gets to that point, but why not put some of the effort into treating the system before the system actually... It's like we're, we're more understanding and willing to treat the broken system when they get fractured than when the system is potentially still together.
2: <laughs> well, you know, it's why I love having siblings come into our program, because they're the truth tellers in the family. Um, I was doing a family session and I asked about resentments and the dad said, you know, I, I don't think we have a lot of resentments and the the client's sibling says to the father, dad, we're the poster child um, for, for resentments. Like we resent people for resenting each other. And so, (laughs) and the, 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 dad kind of stopped and the whole family looked at him like, yeah, like this really is a thing for us that we need to do. So, um, you know, again, so often it's, what parents will say when they come into the program is you know those siblings have been through so much with their with their brother and so i'm not going to we're not going to bother them to come into this program well there's they have opinions they have issues that can be healed in a process of family healing and it's really remarkable to see those siblings begin to heal as they're beginning to recognize i guess this really is a chronic illness and uh you know i'm actually more mad at my parents than i am at my brother because i didn't get to do the things developmentally um, i i speak a lot about is is re is treatment re- rehab or is it hab is it habilitation or rehabilitation and that for these young guys that are i had a 38 year old say to me the other day hey you know that I watched one of your videos and um, he said, I'm newly sober. And the reason I relapse is because I don't know how to, I don't know how to do anything. My parents have paid my rent. They've paid my taxes. Um, I never learned how to persevere. And I, and I, I've never bought a car. I've never done anything that adults do. And then, uh, you know, client gets sober at 26. And the parents say to me, when is he going to start sounding like an adult? Because you know, he still talks like he's 15 or 16. And so this idea of, um, it is a de- developmental process. And when families are organized around the addiction, people don't move through the developmental stages in ways that allow them, once they get sober, to really just sort of jump into, so- and not into sobriety, but recovery. And, um, and And so I think that's another one of those reasons. And when I say that to families, they go, yeah, that's exactly where our son is or our daughter is. They're, they're sober, but they, you can see the fear in their eyes. They don't really know. They either get really hypervigilant and like, I'm going to do it my way because it's the only way I can do it, which usually leads to problems. Um, or they're going to have a, a, an epiphany of, I probably should go to sober living and I probably should be around people that can teach me how to be an adult in sobriety. So I I think it's really multi-tiered and multi-level and it's not just sobriety, but it's what developmental stages did I not go through and what life cycle stages did I not go through that taught me how to have relationships that are healthy and how to defer gratification so that I can support others and to have empathy. So again, I, I, I think it's you had said it earlier. The book's really full of a lot of different things. Um, because it's a pretty complicated process.
0: And you mentioned it, we didn't even dive that much into it, but even like siblings and um other relatives that are a part of these. And there's there is so many, and I've had a a, a colleague friend of mine that that wrote a book, you know, based on being a sibling of someone with with a substance mm-hmm. use. And um I, I when you mentioned you know, them saying things and sharing things, I think back and I like having kids and I like having siblings involved because, um, they, they do share quite a bit and I'm, I'm sure they've wanted to. And I I also want to, to, to touch it on like the the whole theme with it is I think when parents are like, well, they've already been through so much and they, and part of me now almost wants to say like, that's a, that's, that's your trauma talking. Like Mm -hmm. you're, you're really, motivated to (laughs) to not really go through more or hear more or see more because i imagine that's really behind that is like now what's going to happen to the sibling even though there's a ton that's already impacted them or the sibling's going to say something about the parent's behavior and and they might not want to hear that so i I'm, i'm glad you also mentioned it here with that family members includes a lot of different people that often get you know, missed or forgotten, or we, we think they're not ready or they don't want to. But once again, if we want to work with the system, that means we try to work with all the parts and not just major one here. All of it plays an integral role in the, the system in general.
2: Yeah, I think that, um, I think we kind of, our understanding of trauma as a linear process is really flawed. Like an event happens, person experiences it, they have symptoms, they go to therapy and I think um, that happens, a person gets traumatized. Everyone who loves them is impacted by that. And there's all of this recursiveness and reacting to one another's symptoms that um, actually do interfere with that person's recovery. And individual therapists, I'll often ask them, how often do you talk to your client about their family? And how's your family adjusting to the changes that you're making? and it's not always good and it's it's not always like well I thought things would be a lot better once I started to heal and um that new normal that they developed while the person was using if it hasn't changed it's going to make them changing um a burden to the system in many ways it's like I want him to be sober but I don't want him to come in and start having a lot of opinions and and (laughs) we see that with with you know, uh, with clients who are going home to uh, their their own family. And, and it's like they have organized ways to live with this addiction. And as much as it's painful, that suddenly a person who's now sober, who really does have boundaries for their recovery can actually create a, a lot of stress in that system.
0: Yeah. Amazing. I mean, this is stuff we could talk about for so long. And I'm I'm sure now, hopefully when, when people hear this, they, they realize why your book is one that I I chose for our book club, this next go around with our clinicians, because I just think there's so much value from, you know, the individual to the families and there's trauma. There's, there's so much that, that you put in this at the same time. It's not like it's a by the way we're talking about it, it sounds like this would be like a, a very thick, <laughs> almost textbook, but it is, it it gets very, you know, straight to the point and, and talks about some of these things and even, you know, encourages revisiting and, and going back if you're not really there yet. So it's, you know, it's really almost a process to even read this and, and go through with it. Not just a, let me start it, get to the end and, and I'm done. So, You know, for all these reasons and and even more, you you get the sense of why when I read it, I was like, this is not only do I want you as a a guest on on the podcast, but this is why I also want people to to know more about the book.
2: Well, I I really appreciate it. I I think um, as many people as we can
0: introduce the concepts to um, it can only be good. Yeah. So I really want to. I want to thank you for being a guest. I want to thank you for, for, you know, helping to to get all the books that I can give out now. And um, I mean, all the work that you're doing is, it's amazing. And it, it reminded me so much of the work that I was fortunate enough to get some supervision from a marriage and family therapist. And I just talking about it makes me miss that because um, the person doesn't do it anymore. But you forget sometimes like how much that value that has and how a different perspective of all that brings. And then you, you drive in the trauma part to it and there's just so much there that is needed for a lot of people. So I I really want to thank you for, for all the work that you're doing. Well, you're very welcome. And, you know, I, I really appreciate your support in it. Yeah. So listeners, you know, when the solution becomes a problem is the book and written by Michael Barnes, um, in, in the notes and everything, we'll have areas to find out more about him, learn about what he does and links to connect because there's a lot of things that he talked about and even encouraged you to find out more. And we want you to do that. So once again, Mike, thanks for joining and, and really hope our listeners take a lot from, from listening to this.
1: Okay. Thanks again for having me on. Thank you. You've been listening to Talking Addiction and Recovery with Andrew J. Schreier. We're so glad you've joined us and invite you to connect further with the show and these topics at www.andrewjschreier.com. That's Andrew dot com. You can also email us directly at talkingaddictionandrecovery at gmail.com and connect on social media, Instagram at Talking Addiction and Recovery, Facebook, Talking Addiction and Recovery Podcast, and Twitter at TalkAR underscore podcast. To stay connected and never miss an episode, be sure to like, rate, and subscribe. Until next time, friends, let's keep talking addiction and recovery.